You're listening to Muslim Girls Fence, Reimagining Care, a series exploring community and self-care in light of structural racism and inequalities we face. In this series, we interview participants and coaches from Muslim Girls Fence, academics, activists and artists about their experiences over the past year and through all the lockdowns. We find out what care means to them, whether they feel cared for, what some of the barriers are to accessing healthy spaces, and what they imagine a future to look like where we are all looked after and centred. We hope to show that care and well-being is dependent on so much more than candles and bubble baths, although that helps. As Audrey Nord said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation and an act of political warfare. This episode features medical herbalist Rabia Mali, coach Nalette Tucker and participants Osare and Shamela. They talk about the importance of spaces that are catered specifically to communities' needs, how spaces can be centred in care for one another, and the importance of accountability when caring for members of our communities. I'm Nalette from Sunna Sports Academy Trust. Um, I'm the senior coach and we partnered with Muslim Girls Fence back in 2019. The community that sort of most fits with me is the the kids and the women that I teach um, and the way that I try and care for them is by being able to provide as many resources and outlets for them to have their time um so as I get my time in bouldering um they might find it in one of our archery sessions or our boxing sessions or fencing sessions or anything so that's what we try to do just try and put something on so they have somewhere to go and just have time for them in terms of the community um I think I had never really appreciated or understood as much as when I accepted Islam because I all of a sudden had this massive community a massive family um, of people that I can just go on a walk in the dales and I'll see another Muslim lady and she'll smile and ask me how I am and get excited because she saw me and vice versa Um, so I feel like um, having having a community that um, that I saw active in caring for one another um, is a privilege to be a part of. There's definitely potential for more things to happen, making sure that we have the resources to be able to support people when they need that. So more more help and more support in giving us the, 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 the ways to do that would be good. I would say the funders need to come down and, and be on the ground with us and see what's going on because a lot of the time they read an application and it's whoever's worded it the best that gets the money. And that's not always the organisation that can do the best work um, or that is doing the best work. Or they give a certain aim that they want to achieve, but that might not necessarily be the aim that the community really needs. And unless they're down here in the community, they're not going to know those real aims that they want and, and that they need. So funders being more involved and and trusting more organizations um to be able to give their governing bodies the resources to be more hands-on um the link between Masaham and uh, British fencing 
allows this to gel really well because it gives the funders the middle person to be able to carry out that that in-person um seeing what it's like and seeing what we're doing and being here for us um and if that can be replicated amongst other sports if we can have other people coming together and other governing bodies coming together and actually then having the the manpower and the resources to come down and see what's needed and speak to more coaches about what's actually needed and what the community is saying to them um it'll be a a a much better use of funding um and a much better um result at the end of it because rather than people that don't have those issues deciding what issues need to be faced um it'd be good for the people that have the issues to say what they want as well My name is Asari Gull. I am an artist and textile designer based in London. Um, I'm also a Muslim and a British Pakistani. The past year has really affected um, how I show care for others. I actually live quite far from my family, so I haven't been able to see a lot of people. And we're very close and I would love to be able to go and see my dad and, you know, um, cook for him. And it's, it's just something I haven't been able to do the whole past year. And that really sort of breaks me so I've been trying to find other ways of doing it like sending stuff in the post or like doing little sort of online errands or whatever um it's definitely affected the way sort of I care for myself because um I'm quite a curious person and I like to like go for walks and discover um like you know I, I love to visit like charity shops and um as something that I just haven't been able to do uh so I've I've really missed that kind of um that aspect of of life uh I think feeling cared for by society I'd say yes um the government I'm, I'm not sure about that but um just seeing how you know NHS workers have um been sacrificing so much key workers like when I see um you know people at the shop uh, at, at the um supermarkets stacking shelves or when I see the bin men I'm literally just like so thankful because um, that is also act of care and duty um, that people are doing and putting themselves at risk as well. Um, it's a bit crazy because like it's something that you might not really have considered as as that like, care before, um, but it's it's uh, it's uh, made me have a lot of faith in humanity. But then other times I feel like. There's been a lot of confusion uh, with regards to the government, with the messages. It's just been, um, it's felt like the communication aspect has been missing. And um, that's not made me feel very cared for. Um, so it's a difficult one, that one. Um, it's just been great to see how many things have come out, how many charities are collecting food for people. So I think it's just like a, a mixture. This has been some act of like amazing care where people are just going above and beyond. I've learned a lot about care from older generations. I think uh, especially like the older women in my family, like my mother, my grandmother, um, um, just uh, my grandma with a big, phone call person she would always she actually had two phones um and um it was part of her routine she'd be calling her friends in the morning she'd call me and my siblings and I think um what she taught me was the the 
there is nothing you can give more than your time. Treat yourself like you treat someone that you love. Um, I was having a conversation, I think it was with my sister, and she was just saying, oh, like, complaining about something or other, like, and her physical appearance. And I was like, if I said that about myself, what would you think? And she was just like, I think you stinks ridiculous. And I was like, exactly. Like, see, like, just try and see yourself through the lens of someone that you love. and thanks so much for joining us today. Um, today we're really happy to be joined by Rabi Amali, who is a qualified medical herbalist, creative and community healer. She set up the Herbal Blessing Clinic in 2015, a sliding scale community clinic with the intentions of reconnecting the community with their inner herbalist, offering consultations, workshops, retreats and walks and holistic therapy that is rooted in a traditional and spiritual plant-based healing. Her work involves the use of nature and local plant-based knowledge to nourish a feeling of home in communities where poverty, poor health access and gentrification has fractured the sense of belonging. So really excited to have you on our podcast today, Rafia. How are you? Yeah, thank, thank you so much for that, Miriam. I'm, I'm doing, I'm in a space of like, alhamdulillah, in a space of kind of gratitude today. So I'm gra- grateful that we're in the middle of spring that the, the wind is blowing and making everything cold. But yeah, I'm good. I'm, to, to cut the long story short, I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing that. <laughs> That's good to hear. We've been asking everyone we're speaking to this first question. What does caring for self and caring for community mean to you? I think it's always very important to, how, how I look at it in that way is is to kind of actually, first of all, look at, look at it from the community aspect aspect which might seem a bit a bit warped because normally we start from the self but I actually see it more as the community aspect uh, and I see as um, the community care is dependent upon um, you know this the care that we have for ourselves and I think both of them are, are is a um, is a combination of um, caring for one's holistic um, self so that's the physical um, aspect, the emotional aspect, and the spiritual aspect. And I think if we look at those three um, aspects of, of care as an individual, but then also as a community, that's to me is what care, care means. So it's kind of caring for your physical, emotional, and spiritual kind of being, but then also as a community, looking at those aspects of the community as well and, and uh, investing oneself into that as well. Yeah, no, that's really important. Um, it's interesting because I think a lot of um conceptions of care are still focused on mind um but if you're caring for mind but not spirit then you're still kind of out of balance yeah yeah it's a it's a strange um it's a strange thing because I know I, I to be honest I've been actually trying to explore different language to use when we're speaking about this sort of stuff to be honest because I think the terminology and the concept of what self-care is now um, certain aspects of it doesn't sit completely comfortable with me because like what you were saying we we particularly 
from the West, from, from a Western kind of perspective, we, we have this tendency to like to fragment, fragment things. We like to go and kind of go in and separate everything. And that's what we've done with ourselves. So when we think about self-care for many of us, it's kind of like um, mental health, mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's really important. But when we talk about mental health, we're literally talk, uh, a lot of us only kind of would reduce it to um, perhaps some of the more emotional aspects of it, not realizing that our physical and actually our spiritual aspect is incredibly important. And I think this is one of the biggest damages that we've done uh, and that we've absorbed is that we are just one, you know, we are just our minds. And when you look in traditional medicine, the, the concept of mind is so different to what we consider it to be in Western medicine, like the Western medicine is very much confined to like, uh, you know, cognitive function and things like that. Whilst in traditional medicine, the mind is also the seat of, it's, it's connected to the heart, it's connected to uh, the function of the, the gut, although science is now catching up with that, but it's so inter, interconnected with, um, with, our, with our whole being that you can't separate it and be like, oh yeah, self-care is just about, you know, do I feel good? Um, and that's in my experience do i feel good is in a society that can be quite narcissistic do i feel good it's not a way of kind of inter, um embodying self-care because self-care like that first question that you ask a part of self-care is also community care and do i feel good just brings it back to as long as i'm okay i don't really care you know what i mean and that's not that's not going to be sustainable so a lot of the women we spoke to they talked about how, you know, with the pandemic and being at home, they're playing all these roles of like mother, um, wife, having to feed everyone at home as well as work. Um, And then really just not having time to, I guess, have those spaces for themselves. But then this narrative of, oh, you need to just find me time. You just have to prioritize yourself. But like you're playing all these roles so you just can't. and then, and then also for a lot for women who are pregnant during this time, not being able to go in with anyone and their partners not being there, mm. all this anxiety they're feeling. Um, and I guess how just like everything is set up to not care for women and not care for the feminine and not care for that, that energy. Like you're, they're bringing people into the world or they're caring for people. Um, and it's just completely... No, no, no care there. Um, yeah. I just wanted to know, but yeah, your reflections on that. Yeah, I think that's a really, um, a really powerful point to make, and I think, I think, uh, particularly the role that we've played um, as women, particularly in the well, just full stop. But I think with the pandemic, uh, it's very easy for us to normalize that and be like, okay, that's what we do. You know, what I mean, like that's that's mm-hmm. just that's just that's expected of us and then we start to expect it of ourselves. Um, I think one of the things I would definitely say that I've, I've found and definitely learned over the many, many years is um, you're right, where uh, as, a, as a community, many of us, we're not in a, we, the community is not naturally inclined to be uh, to holistically hold space for women or ho- i'll reword that holistically hold space for the feminine right um and that includes obviously us as women and us as women who are um giving birth pregnant women 
uh, menstruating women, non-menstruating women, like just, just the feminine. And even the feminine when it comes to certain particular characteristics and qualities, our society is not naturally inclined at the moment to want to kind of embrace all of that holistically. Mm. And, you know, there's so many different reasons for that. And that's a society as a wider, wider community, as a huge society. And if we make it even smaller, we can even look at that as a Muslim uh, community. And I say Muslim and not Islam, because I think there's a big difference between the two. As a Muslim community, I feel sometimes we don't necessarily embrace all of that because because we're still learning. Um, and I think because of the many years of, I don't know, our interpretations, our society, uh, we've internalized a lot of that. And I think the first place I'm realizing to go to is ourselves and start to re, um, re, reconnect what it is to be feminine for ourselves and what that looks like for ourselves, because it's going to look like something different for every single one of us. And that's another thing I'm very aware of, of not telling women, um, uh, you know, uh, whether it means menstruating women or women who are, who are pregnant women who are mothers or daughters or wives this is how you must be this is how you know like another checklist like I, i'm really it's hard not to because that's how we communicate and that's how we kind of tend to relate to things but i think it's really important that we have moments to really connect to what it means for ourselves to be authentically um to be connected to that authentic feminine or to the mercy like i always like to talk about rahm because that's what we all have is the rahm of allah the mercy of allah what does that look like and I think that's one thing, everything you said, that's basically what hasn't been happening is that we haven't been, we haven't been shown mercy. We haven't been shown that raham by others and we're not showing it to ourselves as well. Um, and so when, when I hear of us trying to kind of fulfill every single role there is in the book, I, I literally just see that as not us not knowing how, how to be merciful. Um, us not, there's no mercy, basically. There's no mercy. Um, and I think to remedy that it's not you know there's not going to be a quick remedy to that but I definitely feel like I was saying just to repeat what I was saying as as painful as it is for me to say it because when I first started to learn this I was kind of like look I'm always I'm tired of like whenever there's these issues it's always like look to yourself and you're like no man I'm tired of everyone's looking at me why do I have to also look at myself you know what I mean? like I'm being told particularly uh you know oh Muslim, women should be like this I'm like no I'm, why do I have to also look at this but then I realized what what that really meant for me which is uh, how much of that have I embodied and how much of that am I am I kind of re how much am I putting that onto other women as well? How much am I being the oppressor to other women and be oppressor to myself? How much am I not connecting to that raham? Um, and that raham is basically my connection to Allah. And it sounds very fluffy and like, okay, all these difficulties, just reach out to Allah. And, and I don't want to spiritually bypass any of our issues. But ultimately, that's what I realize is that we can't do any of this remedy of, of this work unless we really know the beauty of what we are as women. And that's whether you're a mother, a daughter, whether you're a single woman who has, who's never been married, um, who have, has no children, just the fact that Allah has blessed you with rahim, it, there's, there's a power and strength there. Mm -hmm. And once we start to acknowledge that and see that, the way that we deal with ourselves or the way that we allow others to treat us, and inshallah, we can't, we can't, I, I, I am very aware that, that that's where I think the change will happen. And then we, we can kind of stand in a position of, um, we know our rights. That's what I'm saying. So I was just thinking of um, 
because obviously we, we say community care, um, but I guess, how does it change when we start using the phrase communities of like communities based on mercy? Um, yeah, I think it is love and mercy. Mm. It li- literally is love and mercy. So when we're talking about care, it is love and mercy. Do you have love and mercy for the people that you're around? And obviously our understanding of some of our understanding of love might be this really like, you know, I can only say it's this deep kind of passionate, um, passionate thing, or it turns into like this carnal thing. And it's like, no, I'm talking about divine love. I'm talking about the love that, you know, just love, whatever that means to you, love. And mercy is is that compassion. It's love and compassion, love and mercy, love and that, 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 that being able to see yourself in others and showing them that love. And maybe that's the issue is that, yeah, love and love and mercy. That's where the care comes from. And I think that's missing from so many of us because we can only love, so for some of us, we only show love to what, uh, to what we deem to be beneficial to ourselves. You know, that's only the time we can show love. And then sometimes the only time we can show mercy is from, we only can show sometimes mercy to those that look like us or those that we can relate to. You know, I can only be merciful because that person reminds me of me or of somebody that I know. But as a as a whole, if that was what was holding us, if we were being held in the community of love and because even with communities of love and mercy, things like mental health will be addressed in a completely different way, right? Um, I know in some indigenous communities, when you have issues of mental health, it's the first thing is okay. What in the community? This, this person's uh, imbalance in mental health is a reflection of something that's happening in the community, right? Something that's happening in the community is causing this quite sensitive, uh, spirited person. This person is actually quite a sensitive person. So they're picking up on whatever's happening and this is what's happened. So let's kind of have, let's, let's listen to this sign and kind of fix the community or imbalance the community or, or balance up the community rather than it being seen as uh, this individual person is is a is a um is an infliction upon the community mm. do you know what i mean yeah it's so relevant to you like when we when we talk about a project with people um just sometimes you, you this happens in society as well people will say oh you're being too sensitive um and it's that thing of it's what you're saying sensitivity is a sign of something else that something's going wrong in the environment um but then that asks everyone in the environment to look at what's going wrong and then repair it um so that there's this kind of healing and there's this, this repair yeah and I don't know I think people are very if they get in if they see yeah it's about accountability if they're implicated in it they don't want to do it um mm-hmm. so they will say no it's just you this is not happening it's just you yeah there's like major gap as they put like I didn't even I didn't know about the word gaslighting. I knew gaslight. I I'm all familiar with it, but I didn't know it was called gaslighting until maybe two years ago. But you know, everyone's against. Everyone's talking about you know um, gaslighting. Gas. But there's this this widespread level of gaslighting that's happening mm. um, within our communities um, globally when it comes to our governments. Right. A lot of what's happening in the world. Ha- best example I always say is what's you know what's happening with the climate crisis how a lot of that's been put on us everyday people 
yeah it's been put on us stop with your plastic i mean yes we want to reduce our plastic um we want to be much more connected to the earth and that's for um you know social reasons that's for ethical reasons that's even as muslims we should be leading this like because that's how our prophet muhammad um is but it's this whole thing of like their own accountability it's it's on us the reason why the the, the oceans are uh, you know the destruction of the oceans is because of us so we need to stop doing it. We need to stop um, eating fish. We need to stop doing this. We need to stop doing that. And then when you sit and you you ask them to hold themselves accountable, that you see the, the room goes completely quiet. You know what I mean? It's like, we would, but if we started to do that, we wouldn't be able to do, the reason why we do it is because you guys make us. Can you talk a bit, a bit more about the Green Dean tribe and why it was set up? And because a lot of our participants, especially during the pandemic, talk, pandemic talked about um, like planting flowers. And you know, a lot of people have been <laughs> bringing like plants into their homes more, or just like going for walks all the time. I, for me as well, I just found a park near my house, which is like the love of my life now. <laughs> and um, um, you know, one of our questions was, uh, what have you learned about care from, I guess, ancestors and, and family, but, what has the land taught you about care um, mm. healing? I think that might be a, a nice, a more appropriate question for this conversation. That's a really beautiful question. The way you've uh, phrased it is really, really beautiful. Um, <laughs> like I said, I've always had connection to, I love land. I love uh, nature. And that's what made me kind of go into herbal medicine and study herbal medicine and start to get to know it a bit more. Uh, but the Green Dean tribe, it's interesting how a lot of a lot of what a lot of the projects that I've started or been uh, inspired with has actually come from uh, a space of uh, not belonging, that sense of not belonging, and then needing to create again. We're talking about community, create a community of a sense of belonging, and that's what happened with the Green Dean, where uh, as much as I love nature, I love to be out in nature. Whenever I wanted to find a community to be in nature with, it was it was incredibly uncomfortable because again, I was one of the only black um, Muslims, well, only black person um, and definitely most majority of times only Muslim person there as well. And it created, it was very uncomfortable even more so than being with herbal medicine because a lot of the times when we're with nature, there's this really deep healing that's happening during nature. Really, there's, there's this openness that happens. There's this vulnerability that happens and in order for you to really benefit from being in nature and allowing that healing to happen, you need to be in a safe space. But if you're in a space where you feel like you're not going to be heard or understood or held, it can make things worse. And it happened to me quite a lot where I would go into spaces, be like, yeah, I'm in nature, I'm there to connect and then come away feeling absolutely broken. And that's basically where the Green Dean tribe came from was to create a space uh, for Muslim Muslims, but at the moment it's majority Muslim women to kind of have an opportunity to get to know nature again. And one of the beautiful things that um, I've learned about care with nature is how merciful nature is, right? Even when we see some of the, uh, the, the nature, natural disasters that we're seeing, um, I constantly look at that and I look at it on the scale and I'm looking at, okay, how long has this earth, you know, been, been, been subject, been a subject uh, and been, um, abused shall we say and been treated in the way that it's being treated by by humans by the khalifa 
by the stewards, the ones that are supposed that were given the earth as a trust. How long have we treated it in, in this particular way? And yet this nature is constantly still giving. Even in moments of time where it's struggling, it still struggles, but it's still trying to give. You know what I mean? It's still it's struggling and it's still like, but Allah has my 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 purpose is to to be of service to mankind. That is nature, to be of service to mankind. And even when we're kind of knocking it, knocking it, knocking it, it's still kind of being of service. It reminds me of um, a saying that I once heard. I don't want to reference it, quote it to anybody, but uh, it's a saying of, you know, like um, like the apple tree or, or the blossoms. You know, when you when the more you hit the apple tree, the more apples it's going to give you. And that's what it literally reminds me of with nature, where it's not, it doesn't give you because it needs to get something in return. It's giving because it's in a space of resilience and a space of mercy, because there's love and there's compassion, even when it does have, um, and I, I understand it as the moments that we do have natural disasters and um, moments of um, imbalance, I feel like that's nature trying to balance itself back out. And nature is in, in yeah, that's, we we live in some of us live in cities right and there's just like no you're not around any green or and I, I've spoken to some friends about this and how they have green right near them but it's packed full of people it's packed so you don't actually get any alone time <laughs> with the land um and there's a lot of people who don't have access to nature um especially women who are if when they're really busy and so what I agree I, I kind of you know, I'm born and bred East Londoner. Um, mm. You know, Alhamdulillah, Mashallah for me. Same. I'm East London too. Like I feel like I have the city, but the countryside right next to me. Yeah, I'm kind of like it's. I'm like slap bang in the middle, but I'm kind. Of, yeah, I still got a bit of green. I'm sure. Maybe I don't know. Maybe ten years time, they they will build um, affordable um, one bedroom family housing or something ridiculous like that. But um, that, that was one of the challenges that I had at the beginning was this sense of for me to be in nature, I, I actually need to go out of the city. And you do. Right. There's definitely aspects that um, for your own uh, health and balance, you do need to go into the wilderness. You need to remove yourself from the city. And we can see that that's what our um, beloved, beloved Prophet Muhammad did. He would remove himself and go to the cave. Um, and when you look at all of the other um, prophets and, and holy people and holy women as well, there would always be a moment of time of removing yourself from from uh, the, uh, the busyness, right? The busyness, removing yourself and being in the wilderness of nature. That needs to happen. And obviously that's something that happens with the retreats and find communities to do that in because you do need to feel safe at the same time. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I also believe that... Um, the same way that you know it says you take one step you know take make one step to Allah Allah takes two steps to you and I feel like that's the same thing when it comes to because again the, if we look at nature as being um, Allah, Allah given us signs it's once you start to take that one step towards nature you start to see nature everywhere even when you're sitting there in some council uh, block in the middle of like East London you will you you begin to see nature or you begin to start to witness nature in a way that you've never done it before because you start to you've made that intention and i it sounds very i i feel like sometimes i can sound very fluffy but i promise you this is like the reality of it um and it's 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 a it's a beautiful reality because before you know it 
you start to recognize, you might not even know the name of it, but you start to recognize, oh, every day at six o'clock, there's that bird. Nah, 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 nah. Or, you know, or you start to write, and this is one thing that we did with the Herbal Blessing Clinic is taking people out onto urban herb walks. Because before you know it, you're walking past one tree every single day on your way to work. You have no idea what this tree's name is, but your awareness of it, all of a sudden you start to recognize how it changes throughout the seasons. And then what I would love for people to do is actually start to get to know what this tree is what is the medicinal properties of this tree and so even when you're in a space of uh, of city of concrete um you start to actually be in a space of being more aware of nature and then you start to bring it in like you were saying people start to bring the plants into their into their homes people start to want to want to kind of go out and plant in their gardens people actually want to go for a walk and that's one thing that this lockdown has definitely done is people want to be out in nature more um and there's, there's so many multiple reasons why that happens. Um, mm. And a part of that is because nature is given us the healing that we need for this moment in time. Um, particularly I with- even, I remember right at the beginning of the lockdown, I was thinking even the sky, <laughs> it's there, it's outside your window. Take some time to just go out and just look at it. Um, because before that, I realized I wasn't even doing that. I wasn't even looking up. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that because it's it's there. I think like I, I always say nature doesn't have to be a place. It's a state. It's a state of being. It's a state of being in nature, which means if you if you embody that, uh, it's a, sp- uh, a state of awareness. So if you embody that anywhere you are, um, you will have that 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 connection. Um, and you, you meet some really beautiful people that that will always like, you know, how little little toddlers are when you take them to, on a walk, like how they're like they're walking and all of a sudden they'll stop and they'll pick up a pebble and you're like, you don't have time for this. But you see how they're so in awe of everything. Yeah. They're the ones that will go and pick a leaf and be like, look, and you're like, I didn't even know that there was a bush there. Do you know what I mean? But it's that kind of that awe that I think sometimes we've lost, particularly as adults, because uh, we, we need to understand everything. And if I don't understand it, if it doesn't benefit me, again, going back to commodification, even of nature, if it doesn't benefit me, you know, what do I need it for? I think that's a really nice place to like um finish this conversation but it was so good (laughs) it was so nice I love conversations like this they're so nourishing in themselves alhamdulillah thank you so much for having me it's nice to be able to use this time to just it's nice it's a nice reflection for me as well alhamdulillah To answer the question as to how do I celebrate myself um, and celebrate the work that I'm doing, I think is a really powerful question. I'm really grateful for it because this is a question that I've been asking myself um, for the past year. The entire year of 2020, I've been working, I've been doing a lot of work on myself and a lot of, you know, because of the, the moments of stillness that we had throughout the whole of 2020 and what the year of 2020 was asking of us, um, I was able to really sit and do some deep diving. Uh, and a big question was this this, uh, uh, this idea of um, giving myself permission to celebrate myself um, and making sure that it's a key, and actually prioritizing it as a key part of um, making the work that I'm doing sustainable. Um, and uh, I realized that I hadn't been doing that for 
for a very long time in the work. I, I celebrate others very easily. I'm very happy to do. I think it's incredibly important, um, but it's very um, difficult to do it for myself. Uh, so I'm still learning uh, and I'm developing ways and I'm I'm really excited to con continuously see the way that those different moments of celebration look like in my life. At the moment, what I do is I find myself uh, there's two things or maybe two or three things that I tend to do. Number one is I actually make sure I schedule in time. Right? I know that sounds really formal, but I know that if I don't schedule in time um, to celebrate and say this is a moment that we're going to be in a space of celebration or what I tend to try to, to reword that and make it into uh, a shukr, right? A space of shukr. Because for me personally, the idea of celebrating myself had a, had, I, I naturally started to associate that with being like a little bit uh, ego centered, like making sure it's look what I've done. I don't know. I, this is something that me personally, that with that language, I kind of had that association. So it was easier for me to say, um, I'm going to be in a state of shukr and gratitude. And that's gratitude to Allah, but also gratitude to myself, right? And that's, again, that's just linguistics and that's just what I'm more comfortable using. Um, and so if I make sure, going back to what I do is I make sure I factor in that time. Um, so for example, um, there's two times that I make sure I do that. Number one, I will make sure that if I'm doing a particular project or working on a particular project, the same way that I will factor in, you know, feedback and, and you know, uh, time to arrange things, I would also make sure as part of that timeline is also a moment of celebration for myself, celebration for the team, but also celebration for myself. And also another time that I try and make sure I, I do that is also just after my cycle. So one of the things that um, I work a lot with is through the, the menstrual cycle and using that normal cycle to really bring in uh, ritual into, into my, my routine, but then also being very aware of the stages which Allah has, that Allah takes us through, through the cycle and how beautiful that is. Uh, and so I tend to try and have a moment of celebrating myself uh, just after my cycle. Uh, and that's just for me personally, because I find that the cycle um, can come with a lot of different um, emotions, a lot of different uh, physical, emotional and spiritual big changes. And I think that afterwards I am in a space of shukur and a space of celebration. So what I will do is kind of factor those two moments in. How it looks like for me, it can look like very many different things. It can be making sure I spend some time out in nature, spending time with loved ones, um, whether it be recently a big part of it has been foot, foot bathing. I would do a foot bath with a herbal foot bath, massaging my feet and particularly try and pay attention to my feet is one of the areas of my body that I tend not to focus on. So foot bath, maybe put some henna on, doing something kind of uh, to, yeah, something to really take care of myself. Um, and it was very, the, one of the things I try and do is have moments where I'm celebrating purely by myself. So it's just me by myself. And other times I try and include others that, you know, I, I feel could contribute to that celebration. So those are the ways that I celebrate myself. So foot bathing, um, reading, <laughs> listening to really encouraging, listening to sounds that I find really healing. And I do find... Uh, at the end of each celebration or each moment of shukr to root myself back in a space of dua uh, and just say shukr, thank you Allah, thank you Allah. So that, uh, you know, we know that within our tradition, our Islamic tradition, the more that you thank Allah, 
uh, the more that Allah gives you. So I always try to end whatever celebration moment that I have with this moment of shukr and like, thank you, Ya Allah, thank you, Ya Allah. Hi, Assalamu Alaikum. I'm Shmaila and I'm a participant at um, MSA um, and I have done several classes with them. So I started physical activities um, with my local center a good, I think it's been about two years now. I've been doing a lot more physical activity, uh, especially because of the only lady sessions I found in the local area. Um, I started with football. Um, which is uh, also the same organization that I started the fencing with later on. The sessions are amazing. You just feel comfortable. In the sessions, we get a good environment, uh, good positivity, um, unity. I feel like I've known the sisters, all of them, not only just the instructor for um, a long time. You know, you, you get to engage and out of not only do you get their fitness, um, the fencing, the all of that side of it as well. You, we also get um, sort of a sisterhood um, thing where you just come back, you just want to have a laugh, do some exercise, and engage in in that sort of environment. If you know what I mean. So yeah, it's it's just it just pulls you back. You just want to keep going back. I'll be honest with you. I think there are people out there who find it hard to actually go and join a class physically as well. I think these online sessions and things have actually helped these people um, who sometimes might find it difficult to actually go and socialize physically with people and join classes due to, it could be due to just general um, insecurities, et cetera. So I think people have been, been able to help each other a lot and have done so. So I feel happy in that side. I can't really give you an answer as to whether I feel um, happy with um, everything because in certain cases like for example just people's mental and physical health um, being all stopped due to the, the, the lockdown and pandem pandemic I do feel that they could have done a lot more um, with that I think just the sudden everything locking up it's just been quite difficult for certain people and um, the main thing I think would be for example you know when you just need to get in contact with with a professional person like a doctor or um, be seen somewhere or not only for myself, this could be for my family, my parents, et cetera. Sometimes these things I think have been really difficult. You feel like you just can't get hold of somebody when you need to. And I think, although Alhamdulillah, we haven't as a family suffered that much, but I do know of people who have suffered in this case where um, you know they haven't been able to get the care that they require most of the time in this last year thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode listen to the next episode as we continue the conversation to find out more about muslim girls fence and our work visit muslimgirlsfence.org and find us on instagram at muslaha underscore uk and at british fencing and on twitter at muslaha and at british fencing Thank you.